We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But I really, uh, I'm going out on a limb. Ernie, can I do it? I just found out what it is. What's that? Oh, I need one of those. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets are going to win. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. Oh, Thirty footer Devonte Graham. He had like a what, like a forty five footer tonight. I mean, yeah. <laughs> early in the game. Yeah. Welcome, guys, to another Buzz Beat, your Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Blue Wire Network. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at Buzzbeat Pod. And as always, we'd appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Before we get into this play-in breakdown, a game in which was not fun to watch after the first couple of minutes, it just kind of went downhill, I do need to give another shout-out to another member on our Buy Me a Coffee site, James Plowright. You can follow him at British underscore Buzz, and you guys can find the direct link to our Buy Me a Coffee site in the episode notes. So now that we've got that out of the way, Brian, it's time to discuss this play-in game between the Hornets and and the Pacers. First off, how did it feel to you know to to watch some postseason <laughs> basketball here with the Hornets? Yeah, and by the way, Richie, the shot you mentioned of Devontae, that was the only shot he made tonight, which sort of speaks to just how well or how thing how things didn't go so well for Charlotte, I should say. I mean, I, I was excited for the play in tournament. <laughs> Unfortunately, in the first ever, you know, play play in game in NBA history, I guess not counting you know, Memphis and Portland in yeah. the bubble last year. Bit of a dud. Obviously pretty empty stadium in Indiana. So you could even have sort of like the home crowd in the background going nuts. And then, yeah, Charlotte just wasn't ready for the the challenge. And this game was, wasn't competitive from the jump. Highlights for Charlotte were few and far between. Lots of mistakes on the defensive end. Lots of just, you know, lapses. A lack of attention to detail. And... I don't know. It was just like, I, I, I guess, well, let's go right into just the start. Bismack Biombo, after not playing really against New York and Washington, he gets the start. I suppose there's a chance this is the last game we ever see Biz in a Hornets jersey. Who knows? 
I was not entirely surprised to see that. Just uh-huh. say, just figuring, you know, JB wanted someone to match up with Sabonis, who's so strong. And you even saw Sabonis really try to get physical with Zeller at stretches of the game and PJ Smaller. But, you know, those starting lineups with Biz have just really, just really, really fallen flat over the course of the season. And I just thought in a, in a win or go home game. Yeah. It was a little, you know, it was a little, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm baffled is too strong of a word, but yeah, I guess I'm just a little surprised that you keep going back to those lineups and expecting anything, anything else to happen. That isn't, I don't, that you go to those lineups, you expect anything good to happen. Like they got off to good starts against New York and Washington because they jumped right in to the core of their, of their rotation. And you come out with the starters and yeah, the starting lineup tonight, Rozier, Bridges, PJ, LaMelo, Bismack, they go minus seven in the first three minutes and 20 seconds. And, that, and that's how long Biz played three minutes and 20 yeah, seconds. <laughs> uh, that's it. Yeah. Minus seven in, in three minutes and 20 seconds. And again, I understand why JB feels the need to have Biz and his strength and his physicality go out there against Eastern Conference centers, but it's just not the right trade-off. And when the stakes are actually high, like this, this there were a lot of stakes in this game, you, just putting Biz out there, it set the tone bad from the start. And things never got better. Like this loss is certainly not on Bismarck Biombo, yeah. of course. I'm not, don't want to put, can't put it all on him because a lot of guys really struggled tonight. But there was just no energy from the jump. And I don't know how related that is to the fact that they just, you know, they came right out the gate and didn't look so good. We've talked about the the need if they got to a series of Philadelphia to play Bismarck Biombo. And my thoughts on that are, He's just six fouls, right? In some in some physicality, and Bead's going to draw a bunch of fouls on your guys, and PJ's undersized. So, just with the constraints of Charlotte's roster, you you maybe maybe you wouldn't have to use Biz, but there's some some justification for it. And Sabonis is good; he's really strong. I, I just don't think the trade off is is worth it at all to keep running him out there in, in these lineups and, and just expecting anything good to to actually happen. And I think the last two games we've seen another player type that's really going to that's really given Charlotte's fits, which is like the big movement shooter, right? Like this, we saw this with in Washington with Davis Bertans, the first half of that game, his ability to run around, come off screens, screen and pop and flare out the ability to run, fill to the wing in the corner and transition. Mm-hmm. That gave them problems against Washington over the weekend. And then now it's Doug McDermott. Now he's not as tall as, you know, as Davis Bertans, but he's become so good moving without the basketball. I mean, he's really like, you know, changed the course of his career by turning into a guy that just has good speed, good motor, come off a million screens, good synergy with Sabonis in the DHO in the pin down game. And Rozier wasn't ready for that matchup, but neither were PJ Washington. Both those guys, I thought, you know, sort of got made to look foolish as chase defenders against against McDermott, either taking the wrong path, trying to go around a screen or a DHO or or getting back cut. And I don't know. It just showed a lack of connection, I thought, on, on Charlotte's defense, but also those guys not being ready for that matchup. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What do you think Indian is going to do with their offense? You know, no Karis Levert in this game. Brogdon's got what the hamstring injury. 
they're going to go through Sabonis and McDermott. Like that, that had to be at the top of the scouting report. You know, and Charlotte did their, you know, they tried to then switch. They tried to go to the zone. The zone was super spotty as it has been all season, especially when it's not forcing turnovers. And then on the other side of the court, I just don't think Charlotte was ready to handle the physical on ball point of attack defense that the Pacers threw at them. And it just, it short circuited the offense. There was no flow. I thought LaMelo did not have a great game. And I think his handle, we talked about this on the last podcast, sort of like LaMelo has a pretty functional handle, like the ability to, to sort of, you know, get into the paint or whatever, but he can struggle against, you know, physical, I think shorter sort of like on ball defenders that can get up inside of him. He also struggles, you know, to get into gaps because the handle is a little high. And I think there's some similarities between those two, as far as like some of the weaknesses he has as a ball handler. Plus, if you go under those screens, he's just breaking all of his pull up threes right now and has been basically since he got back. So you just saw some of the, some of the elements that, since LaMelo's return that have bothered him. I don't know. They sort of like reared their head tonight, their ugly head tonight. And I think a lot of that had to do with Indiana just being ready to, to go after him on that. But with LaMelo out there, I don't know. Charlotte was at least generating some decent looks. I thought when, when LaMelo went out, they just couldn't get North South at all with, with Devante and, and Rosier and, yeah. and spray out. Like I just didn't, I thought the shot quality was not up to par what you would expect with this offense, especially when LaMelo was out. I don't know. What about you? As before we sort of like, I don't know, maybe start to like think about the season at large a little bit more. What were your thoughts on this game tonight, Richie? Well, I'll, I'll touch upon some of the things that you brought up. First off, Biz starting, it, you know, it, it took me aback, but I don't know if it's necessarily as much about Sabonis as maybe JB thinking he needed some kind of veteran presence out there. I, I don't know, for whatever reason, like this is like a playoff game or a playoff atmosphere and he needed that veteran presence. So they shifted Jalen McDaniels back to the bench that lasted all of three minutes. And it's <laughs> funny. I was about to tweet, literally about to tweet. Okay. It's like, I've, I've had enough of biz. Let's get Zeller in there. And when that happened, Zeller did come in as, like, okay, I'll just save the tweet. Here it comes. And <laughs> yeah. I just thought the pick and roll game initially when Zeller was inserted into the game, obviously the Hornets were in this hole. He just made an impact in the pick and roll game. And we've seen that all season. To your point about the defense, I, I think out of anything in this game, if you can point to the, the most glaring deficiency for the Hornets uh, outside of energy had to be the numerous breakdowns they had defensively. And to your point, like no Karis Levert, Brogdon is having his first game in what seems like forever. So McDermott has to be, like you said, on the top of, of the scouting report. And I think I want to say he's a free agent this upcoming offseason. He would to me, I don't, I don't know how much it would cost to, to bring him here to Charlotte, but to me, he's always been an underrated player because I think a lot of times you view this guy as strictly a shooter, but he can also get to the rim and make shots you know, within four feet. So like you said, Rozier was trying to shoot the gap. That didn't work. Just defense in general, dribble penetration was just poor or containing dribble penetration was poor. It was an issue for Charlotte leading to open three after open three. I think Devante gave up a real easy one to Brogdon like in the second or third quarter. A lot of baseline cuts that people were like just losing track of their men. P.J. Washington did that a ton. 
Malik did it at the end of the third quarter where TJ McConnell hits a baseline cut for an uncontested mid-range shot. I mean, I wouldn't call it demoralizing because at that point the game was over, but it just felt like demoralizing play after demoralizing play after demoralizing play on the defensive side of the court. And, and sometimes I wonder how much is it personnel and how much is it scheme? I mean, I think it's a combination of both. That That's that's something that, you know, JB has got to kind of think about, okay, we don't have these high quality perimeter defenders, but we've got to do something about it. And I know that the scheme all season has been to protect the paint. But when you have shooters like Doug McDermott and Justin Holiday, it's sometimes tough to keep maintaining that defensive scheme because it's just drive and kick, drive and kick. So to me, the biggest deficiency in this game was, you know, physical, mental, just lack of breakdowns on the defensive side of the court. And then one more thing to your point about LaMelo, obviously nobody played great in this game, but I thought he was more impactful. I just made a couple of you know, positive notes in this game towards the end of the first quarter, attacking the rim, taking advantage of Pacers going over some screens there. His shot still hasn't been the same since his injury. And I think this offseason is going to be a needed break for him. And hopefully that wrist can heal even more. And one last player I just kind of want to touch upon is, is PJ Washington. I know I talked about some of his deficiencies, but he was actually the one player to start the game that actually was making anything. He had a couple of uh, corner threes. He had a nice drive and finish as well. But overall, man, like he he was severely lacking on the defensive side of the court. And again, it, he wasn't yeah. the sole reason. Neither was Biz. Like this was a total team effort. But I don't know what it was, but the effort in the lock-in was just, the focus wasn't there. And it just almost felt like they could flip a switch in the second half and, and just try to think that they can come back. But that clearly was not the case. Yeah. We've talked about PJ. He's made strides defensively this year, like switch defender. I thought when, when Charlotte was at their best playing small and switching, it was, you know, a lot of it had to do with PJ really, really stepping up in, in that capacity. Not like I really liked Charlotte's switch all that much this year. It's pretty frustrating at times. But of course, he got better as a rim protector. We've talked about that plenty. But like the assignment of him being a chase defender, he was just not ready for that. And he was getting beat up, you know, around handoffs and, and pin downs. And then he was getting when he would, you know, sort of like get to the top side of that. Then guys were just cutting and going back door. And you brought up McDermott. It's important to remember Doug McDermott's like six seven, six eight. Like he he's not six three. JJ Redick, you know what I mean? So it, it, he's a tough. He's a, he like he is a really tough cover as a movement shooter because like he really knows how to set defenders up. Good motor, great shooter, and like you said, like he can fade, he can curl, he can you know put it on the deck, go to the rim. Like you got to be bleep and locked in to to do that. And I, Charlotte doesn't really have someone on their roster for it. PJ and Rozier, like, I mean, Rozier is really not suited for that. I don't think And, and PJ certainly tonight proved that he's at least in this capacity, wasn't quite ready for it, but also you could just like tell it wasn't Charlotte's night. Like the first play of the second half, Oh yes. they put, yes. they put miles on McDermott. Right. And like, and like yeah, they're just going to run him off, you know, a little baseline bump or like a baseline yep. stagger. And it, just, it was, like, it was, it was a baseline bump. All right. Yeah, it was like a triple stagger because Miles ended up being the best. I almost made like a joke, like, I hope Miles gets a screen assist for this because he just bowling pin style took PJ out. Both those guys were on the ground and it was like, 
there's two pacers open right at the rim, like just shooting fish in a barrel. You brought up Charlotte's inability to contain the ball this season. This team could not for the life of itself rotate well. Like the, the worst Charlotte defensive games looked a lot like this. Mm-hmm, We're like, mm-hmm. they can't stay in front of the ball and the scramble is just so haphazard and so poor that unless someone just guesses right or LaMelo makes a read or Miles makes a read and they get a steal, it, it is just a high percentage shot. Here we go. In 80% of Indiana's field goal attempts tonight were, were threes or they were at the rim. And at halftime, Indiana was, I think, 13 of 18 at the rim, 72%. And they were five of six on corner threes. Just like literally whatever do you want, just take it. Like literally the shots you're trying to generate, you just get them every time down the court. So that was, that was pretty frustrating. And, and I just, it, it was a failure on so many different levels. You know, the, the personnel, obviously all we've been saying this all season, it's mm-hmm. not meant to be a very good defense. They threw a lot of just, you know, junk at opposing teams this year to, to try to force turnovers. And that is what gave them any sort of like modicum of success on the defensive side of the court, right? Switch around or be in that zone, scramble and enforce turnovers. But like when that stuff's not there, you're just giving up layup, open three, layup, open three, dunk, open three, corner three. You're going to hear me mention this a lot. I think the next couple of months as we get ready for the draft and free agency, Charlotte needs a, a mobile center so much. We've talked about this, I think in the capacity of like Charlotte needs, you know, a center that they can throw a lot that LaMelo can throw lobs to. Right. Right. Which is, it's getting lumped into this as well. But I think the flip side of that player is hopefully what that player does for them defensively. Uh Like Charlotte, again, they tried a bunch of defenses this year, but they just got to be able to have a center that they can put in there and say, drop like reliably drop. And I'm not talking about like the Brooke Lopez, Milwaukee Bucks, like deep drop. I'm talking about someone that can come up to the level of the screen and it can, can try to close off the paint a little bit, can also switch some, you know, when the matchup depends on it. Uh, Charlotte needs someone that can guard the basketball on the perimeter and they need a mobile five that can unlock a couple different defensive coverages for them because it's just like the switch in the zone Oh, man, they just they ran out of steam at the wrong time of the season. And even when they were sort of working for stretches, we discussed this on the pod multiple times. Like it never felt sustainable. It never did. So Charlotte's got some some serious some serious needs on this roster, but we we will have plenty of time to to touch on some of that stuff. A uh, couple just a couple positives. Can I can I go back just, to that point real quick before yeah, you, yes, before we yeah, get to the positives? Yeah. Like I think what JB was trying to do on the defensive side of the court was to try to simulate a rim protector by putting everyone in the paint. Now, if you have a rim protector, a mobile big who can play different coverages and pick and roll, who can close out, who can move laterally, you're not forced to play some of these zone defenses. You're not forced to have the whole team basically in the paint when there's a drive. You can have players stay home on shooters and allow that big man to kind of cover ground and, and switch between and toggle back and forth between the big and the ball handler. So one last thing before the positives here, it's funny. You mentioned the opening play of the third quarter. That was like the last note that I took. I'm like, okay, I'm done. Miles and PJ trip into each other. And it's interesting. The player that made that shot for the Pacers, I believe was uh Brissette. and and the Hornets did not see him 
in the first three matchups. So that was one player that I was interested in seeing how well he would play, and he killed it. I mean, he was 10 of 14 from the field, had 23 points, 3 of 6 from behind the arc, and that's that's been a common theme for him, shooting the ball well from deep, and he can defend. I, I don't know how tall he is, but I'm sure he's he's six seven six eight. He's lanky. He can probably guard multiple defenders. So that, that Canadian came out to play tonight, and we did not see him in those first three matchups. So that was kind of an unknown for Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, he's been very good for Indiana down the stretch this season. And, and the Pacers front court was great tonight, right? Uh, Sabonis had 14 points, nine assists, <laughs> 21 rebounds. McDermott, seven of nine, four of six on threes, 21 points on on, on nine attempts. And then O'Shea said, yeah, 10 of 14 shooting, three threes. He was hyped, 23 points. Like, I covered O'Shea said <laughs> when he was at Syracuse. And they really used him as just like a, a spot up guy. Like, yeah, I know it'll come as a surprise to a lot of people that Jim Beheim was not properly using one of his talented, uh, talented players, but yeah, just getting to see him in a defense that allows him to really show off his length and his versatility. I mean, Brissett was like an impact defender out of Syracuse's zone. And I think you could see some of the stuff that Brissett did in the zone in college, how that would translate to the NBA. Like, th- like, Sometimes it's tough to scout that, but there are some stuff, there are like micro skills you can focus on. I think Brissett showed some of that in college. Mm-hmm. I'm not completely surprised he's like turned into a, potentially a rotation player. He always had buzz in college, even though the numbers offensively were underwhelming just because his frame and his athleticism are, are special. Now that he's making shots, yeah, pretty, pretty promising. Looks like maybe a fine for the Pacers. And then, yeah, as far as the positives go, I mean, we just talked about Miles not having the best defensive possession of his life to start the third quarter. But like, it, dude, he brought it again tonight, man. 23 points, 10 to 16 shooting, hit two threes, four assists, one steal, one block, eight boards. I mean, he was like, I don't know. He was like the one guy. I mean, I think, I think you're right. Like Zeller helped and Zeller was seven of seven shooting. And I actually think Malik Monk, did some things offensively and was like committed to getting to the rim at a time when it was very obvious that like Charlotte had no other North South component to the offense. And Malik was like, all right, bleep it. I got to get, I got to get downhill and got blocked a couple times or couldn't finish it. But it was like, thank you. Someone just has to drive the, the bleeping ball And and Malik, you know, that's something he's for the most part, the last two seasons has been pretty committed uh, to doing. And so that was good to see. I just, you know, it stinks that it's in, it's, you know, it's in the last game. I think Malik, especially the last couple of games sort of had trouble getting a a rhythm. And now it's just like the the season's over. Is that the last game Malik Monk plays in a Hornets uniform? What a long, strange four years it has been. But I I just thought the, the impact of miles was just awesome again tonight. I thought some of the only bright spots they had in the half court were, when they gave him some playmaking possessions, right? Like they ran an ATO, I think in the second quarter where the, they ran Malik Monk off like a little Ram screen. And then he went into the ghost screen action with Bridges who like brought, like Devonte brought it up, gave it to miles at half court. And they launched into that action. Miles got an and one off that. Then another ATO in the second half where they threw it horn set. They threw it to Bridges at the elbow. They cleared out and just let him slash, you know, go into his left hand. So, yeah, I mean, it's just Miles missed those two weeks of games and he came back and was awesome. <laughs> awesome in all three of these games, man. Like, I, I just can't believe how how good he's been all season. 
but especially the last two months, even with that stretch where he didn't play and they obviously they missed him a, a just crazy amount. It's just, it's, it's hard to measure just how, just how impactful he was for them, especially late in the season. So, but it was great. I mean, he like looked like he didn't miss a step once he came back. Really. Yeah. You wouldn't have known that he was in these like COVID protocols or whatever. I mean, he came back, didn't miss a beat. He was one of the few players, and maybe Malik Monk, you can kind of group into this, Cody Zeller as well. They were one of the few players that actually like gave a damn. Like you could just tell that Miles, even I mean, the whole year, Miles has taken on a different type of leadership role. I can tell that he's more vocal on the sidelines and huddles. I can tell that he's more vocal out on the court in a way that he just wants to win so badly. And I think JB sees that as well because with defense, Obviously, physical attributes are half the battle, and and he has that. But there's yeah. there there's a mentality that needs to come mm-hmm. with defense, and I think that has shifted with him. And when he drew the assignment of Brogdon early on in the game, like I think that's JB telling us that hey, we're gonna try to you know slow down the head of the snake here. That that that's you know driving force here behind the Pacers offense, try to slow things up. Obviously it did not work because there was a lot of other things that were going wrong, but I think the mentality switch for miles has been one of the biggest things we're seeing less and less boneheaded plays, mental dro- yeah. you know, drops with him. It just doesn't really happen. And you know, the, the best play of the night, you tweeted it out. I tweeted it out. I guess the most exciting play of the night was when he had the block on Sabonis which led out to the the alley oop to Monk. I mean, that was one of the few highlights for the Hornets. Not that you could get all that excited about it, because at that point they were they were still down a significant margin. And basically, the way that you were describing Miles Bridges on the offensive side of the court is the way that we pretty much have described him all season. And he has probably been one of, if not the most consistent players for this roster. And again. Yeah. 36 minutes tonight, 23 points, shot the ball really well from both inside the arc, outside the arc. Again, a player that has taken tremendous steps this season. And when we talk about looking back on the season as a whole, like this is one jump that I don't think many people, if any, really saw coming. Yeah, I just it. He got off to a nice start this season playing the, the bench role, right? Right. The lob, the lob guy, the short roll guy off the bench. And, and I do think, and I thought his defense sort of where he finished last season before the stoppage, I think, which was trending upward. I felt like he sort of picked up from there, but then you just saw some of the event creation that he had in, and yes, that, that, that bears out in the numbers, these some of these chase down blocks he's had recently too were just like empty the bucket. I'm gonna make a you know an impact play here. And a couple of those, like the the block he had on Sabonis that led to the monk dunk, that's a thing that happened a couple times late in the season where a miles like effort to block a shot at the rim, either in the half quarter transition, led directly to a three or a dunk on the break. And, and Sabonis wasn't his guy, right? He, he's coming from no, the backside. He, he came yeah. up, it was like a weird, almost sort of like behind like them. They, 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 they like the Pacers sort of seemed to like flow into like almost like a little snug pick and roll. Like, I don't like, it wasn't like, I think it was almost, almost like a little like baseline two man game. You know what I mean? And so, yes, he was recovering, got to him at the rim. But the, the point I'm trying to make about bridges here because you were talking about the mentality. I think he really realized that like, yes, when I block a shot, it can lead directly to a high percentage look on the other end, but it also, it sends a message too, right. Of like, we're here. 
we're, we're playing with a little bit of force. And tonight it's unfortunate because, you know, no one really sort of had his back when it came to wanting to like play with some punch, but I do think we saw it at other times later in the season and hell JB used him to be the on ball guy against Washington covering uh, Westbrook at, at times the other game mm-hmm, too, mm-hmm. just or the other day. So you, you see the ways that he, you can move him around. Like you can, you can use him, you can switch him on a bunch of positions. You can put him as the primary against some of these bigger power physical guards like Brogdon and, in Westbrook, if you're trying to keep those guys away from LaMelo or whatever, but he has also has these team defense, sort of like help instincts that are, that are sort of, I don't think his stocks numbers were like great this year, but the flashes were, were very real and were, were pretty damn impressive. And I just, yeah, I mean, I liked, I liked miles as a player, but it, this, this season has just completely changed how I think about, his like his development, how I think about some of the different outcomes that are possible for him now, mm-hmm. given how athletic he is and given like this sort of like playmaking flashes that have come online on both sides of the court as a team defender, as an on ball creator, but a guy that you can sort of just move in a lot of move and use him in a lot of different spaces in the half court offense. And as we just touched on different ways, you can use him defensively too, like, you know, he's a piece that's going to be here for a while. And he does certainly seem to have some of the leadership intangible qualities that matter uh, a great deal too. So just could not And it's crazy, dude. The only games he missed this season, right. Because of the COVID protocols, like he was a total iron man for mm. this team in a way that, you know, in the hardest season, these guys have ever had to go through. Right. You know, and, and for that guy to keep showing up and having full energy bar every night, ready to go and ready to have an impact and to just do it in a bunch of different ways. Super impressive. He had an awesome season. In my opinion, he's like the team MVP this year. He was just, and it, it's, it's almost fitting that even though they got absolutely, you know, whopped in the last game here, he was still awesome and in, in head and shoulders, their best player. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, that's a good transition to kind of looking back on this season as a whole. The Hornets, 
I don't think we ever said the score, but the Hornets lost 117-144. But, <laughs> but Brian, I, I think these statistics don't really count because they're not really a regular season game. They're not really a postseason right. game. So we can just kind of erase that off of our memory. And obviously, if Hornets had won this game, they would have to have gone and, and won again. So who knows if they would even make the eighth seed if uh, they had won this game. But just kind of looking back on the season, I know that a lot of fans are probably thinking that, you know, this is the end of the world. Fire Borrego. What are the Hornets doing that they can't they can't be successful? I, I think the way that the season ended with five straight losses plus this one. So I guess six straight losses. It's hard to kind of look back and look at the positives. I mean, this team finished with, I believe, 33 wins on the season, which is higher than I would have expected. I, obviously, I don't know off the top of my head in the preseason podcast what I predicted, but it definitely wasn't 33. I think I did even predict like 11th seed or maybe 10. I mean, you guys can go back and listen to it, but I was not expecting this team to be in the top eight and really kind of borderline fringe type of team that was going to make this play in tournament. And I think if the injuries did not occur, I think this is what people have got to take into consideration here. If the injuries did not occur, now clearly they did occur, but if they did not occur, I think the Hornets would have been in the top six and they would not have had to worry about this play-in game. And I think people would look at this a little bit differently. Now, now I'm sure there'll be a same group of fans that say, okay, now you've ruined the lottery chances and, you know, just to get bounced in the first round by, you know, the Bucks or whatever uh, in a three, six matchup. But I think the loss tonight hurts. I, I think the, the five losses to end the season hurt. I just think the fact that the Hornets couldn't clinch a top eight seed or a top six seed hurts. But Brian, Trying to give this perspective here, I know that maybe, like you said, we're kind of talking about this pre-recording. If you give it 72 hours, you could probably look back on this season and have a different view of this. Right now is probably not the best time to think about this. But overall, Brian, like, was this season a success? Yeah, you, you, we, what we were talking about is that the two of us plus Spencer will have to do another sort of like post-mortem on the season. One with a little more perspective because... Right now, I mean, these games just never stop. It's crazy because for six months, the games were nonstop. It's just every every other night, there's a game. Every other night, there's a game. And, and now it's just done. And so it feels like you, got, like you got sucked out of this really long sprint. And just given how it ended, just the last six, seven weeks of the season were, were brutal. And certainly the last two weeks were really, really tough. And so it's hard, I think, to have like good perspective right now, right? Because I think we saw this after the Washington loss. People are like emotional. People are mad. I totally get that. I'm disappointed with how things ended too. I think it's fine to be disappointed with how the the year ended. You can be upset. That's cool too. It's it's great that you. It's great that people care about this team. It can so the ending can be a little bit of a letdown. At the same point in time. It doesn't have to be, it's not black and white. Like there's some gray area too, right? We can still acknowledge that even if you're bummed about how the last month went, you can still peel back and say, yeah, but they beat their, the Vegas win total by seven games. LaMelo might win rookie of the year. Like he, I know he struggled some when he came back, but like he was so good this year. It looks like Charlotte really has like a star on the rise there. Miles made a huge jump, like a huge jump. PJ showed some flashes and some improvements and some, I think pretty meaningful ways. 
And that all of that stuff matters a lot. I think even though most guys came back by the end of the year, we're not like we, we can't lose sight of the fact that like they still didn't have Gordon Hayward. Mm-hmm. And even though I just said Miles Bridges was the team MVP, Gordon Hayward was still the best player on this team this year. Like if they weren't missing the eighth guy in the rotation, you know, down the stretch here. It wasn't like they were trying to win these games without Jalen McDaniels or, or, you know, or whatever. It was without Gordon Hayward, who was playing at like, you know, a, a near all-star level for parts of the season. And this guy that I just think they really could have used in terms of some of the deficiencies they had in the half court, what he would do for some of their small ball lineups. And I'm not even talking specifically about Indiana, like I'm the game tonight. I'm talking about the last two months of the uh, the season, just like Hayward and Miles unlock all of that stuff. And so when both those guys were at the same time, like that, that was a bit of a, that hurt. And the one thing I tried to sort of like, I've tried the last couple of days to, to vocalize this or to write this out. And and I do want to say it on the pod too. I think one of the things that disappoints me most about the season at the end here is not that they didn't make the playoffs, which sure. I wish they had done that. And I think that experience matters. Spencer's talked a lot about that. I agree with him on it is that I got to really fall. And I feel like a lot of Hornets fans probably felt this way or people covering the team. I got to sort of like, I fell in love with the style of basketball that they were playing December through late March refreshing fun Lamelo highlights every night above the rim plays with bridges, lots of threes. Malik really came online. You know, Terry was killing in the clutch. It it just, they were, they were playing, they were leading the league in assists, right? They were playing fast as hell, especially when Lamelo was out there. And then all those guys got hurt. And I think for a while I'd like convinced myself, well, they'll, they'll all come back. And then like, they'll come back in time. And, you know, it's probably not going to be, uh, to the point where they can like get Charlotte back up to like the fourth seed in the East, which they were when all those guys got hurt. But like, at least I'll get to see this style of play again, right? Like all the small ball, all these guards, all the passing, the three point shooting, this like this joyous brand of basketball that I've just never seen in, in a Hornets uniform before. And yeah, it just sucks because like when LaMelo came back, you know, it, it Physically, I think he was, you know, like wasn't going to re-injure himself or anything like that, but he was not playing to the same level he was pre-injury. I don't think Malik was either. And then Gordon Hayward never came back. And then Bridges was in the pro the COVID protocols. And so you're just like, now, you know, they're heading into kind of a interesting off season with some free agencies to decide on some extensions to figure out a draft. And you're like, yeah, that one version of the Hornets that, that everyone really liked like you're not going to see at least that, that certain chapter of it again, like that, that, that chapter is over with. And I, I think with Lamelo, like, you know, there's a, there's a full book that they have the opportunity to write going forward. And that's very exciting. That's why people should be up. That's why people can be disappointed about the end of the season. They can also, the way it ended, they can also understand that the team probably overachieved some mm-hmm. had, had some success, both in terms of win losses, both in terms of player development, both in terms of sort of like reintegrating the team back into like the zeitgeist of the NBA in Charlotte because of LaMelo and also be optimistic for the future too. And so I think you can be all of those things at the same time, but yeah, it does suck that like just this one style that we got to see for like, you know, 50 games or whatever, like, yeah, it's that, that is over with. And that's, that's a little bit of a, 
that's a little bit of a bummer. And it's something that like, I'm still sort of just kind of coming to grips with and have been for the last, the last few weeks. It's one of those things with, yeah, when you look back on the season, like that was just such a fun stretch of basketball. Like, yes, the Hornets, I don't, I don't know. I can't, I don't know the top of my head, but the Hornets probably still finished in the top five, top 10 in assist and passes per game. And, and, you know, the whole offense was predicated on ball movement, but the time when all those guys were healthy, it, it just was a fun brand of basketball. They were getting up and down the court. All the pre-injury stuff was just an exciting brand to watch. And it's like, it's like the saying goes, like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So when one of the parts is gone or two or three of the parts are gone, like we saw this season, you know, that whole team just doesn't perform the way that they should. And, I think that was where the season turned when this, the injuries started to pile up. And, and like we've said plenty of times on the podcast, this was not specific to the Hornets. This happened all across the league. But I think with Charlotte, they had less room for error. And, yes. Yes. you know, with yes. some of the other teams, like let's just say SGA, for example, Oklahoma City wasn't going for the playoffs. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, Hornets may or may not have been going for the playoffs. I, I don't know if that was a goal of the coaching staff or a goal of the front office. Obviously the players are going to want to go out there and compete every night, but it was just less room for error for the Hornets and they lost big pieces. And we mentioned Gordon Hayward here because he did not play tonight against the Pacers. Would he have made a difference in the win loss tonight? Probably not. But if he had come back and he was healthy for the last month of the season, we probably wouldn't be in this play in game to begin with. I mean, that that's kind of what we're getting at. So yeah, in a one yeah. game situation here where you lose by 27 points, no, he's not going to make up that ground. But you know, and to your point earlier where Miles might have been the MVP of this season, I think, you know, him coming off the bench and Hayward starting, his veteran presence, Gordon Hayward that is, allowed for that development. He allowed people around him to kind of develop under his wing and and he showed you know, the younger guys. And I think the internal development was probably the biggest piece to me. I don't know if it's a shock per se, but Gordon Hayward, you knew what you were getting when you got him. I mean, even the injuries involved, obviously, but like, <laughs> yeah. you knew what you were getting with the way that he could affect the game. And just by adding him to this roster, you would have expected this team to improve a little bit. But when you see Jalen McDaniels improve, Miles Bridges improve, Terry Rozier to me even improved for most of the season. PJ Washington had his ups and downs, but I think the the player development, why JB was brought on, I think that's where we saw the biggest growth with this team, and I think that's why they were in such a great position prior, you know, to all these injuries. So. Yeah. And I mean, shout out to some of the development coaches on the staff, Jay Hernandez, Nate Mitchell. I mean, it's a team effort, but those are two names we've heard talked about, right? Specifically as uh, guys that have been Nate Mitchell integral with the Devontae Graham development arc, right? So shout out to all of those guys. Yeah. I, to your point about Hayward as like a development tool or another sort of like way for the Hornets to be able to sort of like shape player development around and, and bringing a, a veteran, a talented veteran like that in. I posted, I, or I mentioned at the time that I thought Hayward had value as someone that could help LaMelo's development too. I talked about mm-hmm. that last mm-hmm. November after the signing. So I think it's interesting. I think that, I think that is, I think, I think that proved to be true and we'll certainly see more going forward, but 
I agree with you. I think it, it had, it was an added bonus for guys like Bridges to be, or to, to be around that or play with the guy like that. It's going to be really interesting to see, you know, assuming they keep, you know, parts of this roster intact and I, and hopefully don't do anything crazy drastic, even though the season ended in kind of a bizarre fashion, but assuming that you've got PJ and miles and Hayward on the roster next season, which I can't imagine that changing, but you know, you're going to have to figure out how you want to play those guys, right? You know, is it going to be Hayward at the two miles at the three PJ at the four PJ, the five miles four Hayward, three PJ off the bench. Like what, like luckily that you can scale up or scale down a position, right? Like that helps. I wish I could, I was tweeting about this with a listener the other day and I, I apologies for forgetting his name, but it, he brought this up and it was an interesting thing to consider. It's like miles is not going back to the bench, man. <laughs> like, no. like, yeah, like, like, it, like that's, it's cool that he accepted that role, but it ain't happening again. Like he, he is right now. He is like a huge piece of this franchise going forward. And Richie, I also want to touch on one last thing too, because you brought up the, the, the margin for error for Charlotte, how they, it just, it was tiny this season. And so when they were overachieving, I think a lot of it had to do with health, which they had for mostly, for the most part, the first, you know, three, four months of the season. And as we've talked about the show so many times, the last two seasons, just the good luck they had shooting in the clutch, right? Now you have good players and JB's a good after timeout guy. All of that stuff matters. But I, I pulled this up during the, the game tonight, December through March this season, the Hornets were the number one clutch offense in the NBA. So from the start of the season to the end of the March, which is right around when LaMelo got hurt, and then it was the first two days, two games in April, was when Monk and Hayward were hurt. So December through March, Charlotte, number one clutch offense in the NBA, 1.38 points per possession, 49% shooting on threes. That two was number one in the NBA. Smaller sample, but during the months of April and May, so the last two months of the season, this is, of course, you know, with guys sort of in and out of the lineup, no Hayward again, you know, less Monk, less LaMelo, less, you know, less Bridges. They were dead last in the NBA in clutch offense. <laughs> 0.87 points per possession, 18% on clutch three-point attempts in that stretch, four of 30. So, I think you saw a team that was having pretty good fortune and clutch with its clutch offense and with its health. And then once that stuff turned, just the margin for error just to completely disappeared, right? Like it just, it vanished instantly. And like, unless they were playing a team that was like tanking or sitting guys, the, the, the amount of wins they had against teams that were at full strength were few and far between. Like I remember the Boston game, in Charlotte, which was like maybe the best game they played all season. Right. Uh But there just weren't many of them, man. There really weren't a lot of that had to do with, because like they were overachieving. I said before the season, I didn't think that getting Hayward guaranteed them a top 10 spot in the East. I don't almost don't know how to feel about that at this point because (laughs) they got 10th, but Hayward missed a huge chunk of the season. And they got blown out in the last month of the season. They were kind of a hot yeah, mess, Yeah, but it just, all of it speaks to the fact that like, I think they overachieved a lot of stuff goes into it. You can't just say it's two things, but I think once their luck with injuries and shooting the clutch turned, yeah, the season veered off in the wrong direction 
very, very quickly. It was a snowball effect. And I think a lot of it was mental as well. When you get into those situations and you start winning games late, it kind of boosts your confidence. You know, being in those situations, you know you can do it again. But it also has the opposite effect. You start losing games that you have blown leads for in the fourth quarter and you just can't seem to get right in the clutch. That's going to have that negative effect as well. So I definitely know this wasn't the way that fans wanted to end the season, but give it 72 hours and I think you'll feel better about it. Obviously, it's disappointing. The season, the way that it ended, it's going to leave a sour taste, but but give it time. And as Brian mentioned, we will do a season wrap-up pod with Spencer, grade some of the performances of these players. I know on the Buy Me a Coffee site, I'm going to actually grade the top five. How do I word it? It's, it's not the best players, but the uh, most impressive players that came away, in my mind, for the Hornets this season. I, I can't wait to read that Bismack Biombo breakdown. Yeah. In that in that portion for you, that's going to be thrilling yes. stuff. To, he's to check he's out. he's between three and four right now. So <laughs> yeah, still debating. You got some you get some hard decisions to make yes. here yeah. before before that post goes live on the the buy me a But yeah, oh, even man. even I got to think about it and sit back on it and and try not to use these last twenty games of the season to kind of cloud my judgment on these players because I think yeah. you know for the for the most part you know you can't use these last twenty games when looking back on the season. So. Brian, yeah. any last thoughts? You know, where do the Hornets go from here? Just, just something quickly. Looking at this quickly, Charlotte is going to be picking 11th or 12th in the in the draft, mm-hmm. right? It all depends on what happens with the Spurs, how they finish in the play-in, and then potentially a, a tiebreaker with them, whether Charlotte will pick 11th or 12th. That's a weird spot in the draft. It's a weird spot in every draft. It's hilarious that like Charlotte is like in drafting between like eight to 12 again. <laughs> like, like it just, uh, how many times has this happened with this franchise? It's like, no matter what the gravitational pull of that, like lottery range just sucks them back in every time. And, and we'll see what happens with the lottery drawing. That is going to be, I think, yeah, June 22nd. The draft is July 29th. The lottery is June 22nd. Uh, the combine is the the 19th through the 21st. But I'll say this. Some of the player types that Charlotte is going to be looking for, they can find in that range. There's no perfect prospect. I think this draft, and we will talk a lot about this, I think this draft is really like at the top, like a three or four player draft with one clear cut, you know, number one prospect in Kate Cunningham, followed by Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, and Jalen Green, all of whom I, I like a good bit. But Charlotte is going to have the opportunity to look at guys like Jaden Springer from Tennessee, who I would like a lot, from Franz Wagner from Michigan, who I like a lot, Scotty Barnes from Florida State, Moses Moody from Arkansas, maybe Keon Johnson from Tennessee, like one or two of those guys are going to be there. I just listed off a bunch of wings and like off guards that can, that could really help this team defensively and maybe also give them some secondary creation that they'll, they'll also need to build out going forward. We'll have plenty of time to get into the draft. I mean, I'm excited to do that and we'll get more excited to do that, especially the further we get away from this season. But just, I am hoping that with some patience this off season that the Hornets especially through the draft again, because clearly they need more talent on this roster that they can use those tools to continue to build this team patiently. I'm a little worried with how the season ended. That's setting off some sort of alarms. Uh I think that Charlotte with, depending on what it does with its own free agents, what it does with its cap space, what it decides to do with that, 
there are players for them to look at to satisfy some of these needs that they have. And I think that lottery pick can be a very useful tool for them, even if you know, five through 15 in this draft is sort of like a murky ground. I still think there are players to be mined out of there and, and ones with some good upside and ones with some guys that, that can definitely help Charlotte soon and later. Well, we good lucky in the lottery again, Brian. I mean, that, that would be cool. I mean, yes. <laughs> move, move up to move up to, I don't know how far they can move all the way up to. I think they would have a very small chance of being able to move up to the top four. Top four. Yeah, yeah, they, top they, four. Have eight, they have an eight and a half percent chance of getting up to the, to the top four currently. Boy, Evan Mobley, he'd be cool. <laughs> Evan Mobley would be really cool in this roster. I don't, I don't envision that happening a second straight year in a row, but even if they stay pat where they are yeah. currently in the, in the order, there are some guys that I, that I, that I do like that will absolutely be available in that range. Well, eight and a half percent is low, but it's actually higher than what Terry Rozier shot tonight from behind <laughs> yeah. the arc. So, yeah, was it Devonte and Terry were one of sixteen combined on threes tonight, and the only one Devonte made. This will be the perfect coda for this episode, Richie. Yeah, because we came into the episode talking about <laughs> the prayer that Devonte hit, and that was the one three. <laughs> oh man, that, yeah. that our two three point bombers were able to drain tonight was uh, Devonte shooting an end of the shot clock heave from one of the logos at a banker's life field house. Yeah. Everything that could go wrong for Charlotte did go wrong. Thanks again <laughs> for tuning in to another episode for BG. <laughs> I'm Richie. We'll see you guys next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.